When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Hockey News Podcast. Welcome to Hockey News Podcast, presented by BetMGM and NorthlandHockey.com. I am Mike Stevens. This is Ryan Kennedy. Ryan, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good, thank you. I'm so glad to hear that. All right, Ryan, let's jump into, I guess, a, a crazy week of hockey, as we, uh, as we like to say. Mm-hmm. Starting with, I guess, the biggest story in the sport right now. Uh, you know, whenever, whenever the, you know, they say, you know, if you come for the king, you best not miss. Right. Well, sadly, they did not miss. Connor McDavid, the best player in the league right now, he is out one to two weeks um, with an upper body injury. Uh, difficult stuff for the Oilers because they are floundering right now. So I guess, I guess five games, six games into the season, we must ask the fateful question, Ryan. Are the Edmonton Oilers doomed? I don't think they're doomed just yet. And part of me is wondering if they actually improve in the short term with McDavid out of the lineup. And here's my theory, (laughs) is that obviously when you have the best player on the planet, you kind of rely on him. And they do have Leon Dreisaitl as well, who's one of the other best players on the planet. But I wonder if this focuses the Oilers, because they have been terrible so far. Anytime I watch them and, uh, you know, their West Coast games, so I'm watching and I'm like, oh, they seem to have this in hand. Mm -hmm. Or it's like tied and I'm like, how is this tied? And then I go to bed because I'm old. And I wake up the next morning and they have lost Mm -hmm. to like Winnipeg or Vancouver, you know, teams that we don't expect to be title contenders this year. Mm -hmm. Perhaps this will be something that brings the team together where they say, okay, we don't have McDavid. We got to play a lot tighter. Mm-hmm. We need a lot better structure here. Everybody needs to be dialed in. <coughs> Our goaltenders need to be on point. And let's face it, maybe they just don't have that ceiling with their goaltenders right now. But if they play better defensively in front of their goaltenders, then maybe they can get a better result. Mm. Now, having said that, there's obviously a ton of risk here because. Yes. You play a Minnesota team that needs wins. You play a very good New York Rangers team. You play a Calgary team that hates you to the bottom of their core because it's the Battle of Alberta, and that's why we love it so much. Mm -hmm. So you're not getting any easy nights right now. And obviously with McDavid out of the lineup, your awesome power play, which was record-breaking last year, it's currently at 30% this year, takes a big hit. So there are are many challenges in the day of being out. But part of me is wondering, and this is like the opposite of like when you guys do the action show and Mm -hmm. you talk about the numbers and like probabilities and math that makes sense. This is just my gut being like, wouldn't it be funny if they won like three in a row with McDavid out of the lineup because it focused them? Yeah, well, d- just to correct you, it's Rachel that does the numbers. I just sit there, right. and I guess, for vibes. But you're on the show. I am on the show. Yes. No, you're right. And look, there is, it's very tempting for me to look at this and go like, all right, well, the Oilers are doomed. They've played horribly with the best player in the league right. in, in their lineup, and you take him out for one or two weeks, suddenly you get into, you get into you know, early to mid-November, and we have that sort of, um, we, we have that, that American Thanksgiving principle that yes. Elliot Friedman likes to talk about where, Teams that are out of the playoff picture by American Thanksgiving, which is like around November 25th, that, that sort of yeah. year, it's very like the, the, the percentage of them actually making the playoffs by the year end is very difficult. But there is some, some um, there is definitely a lot of uh, uh, credence to your sort of argument here. Mm. Um, just because you're right, they, when you have a player like that, he acts as something of a safety net, you know. Like if you are, you know, if 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 you are a, a a country and you have a nuke, you know, you might you might not want to invest in in the other aspects of defense because it's like whatever we got a nuke, we have yeah. the nuclear option, so who yeah. cares, you know? Yeah. Like 
Whereas uh, uh, you take that out and you go, uh-oh. Uh -huh. um, what I'm really interested to see is whether or not Leon Dreisaitl pulls a uh, Evgeny Malkin sans Sidney Crosby. Right. Because if you look at the points per game between Crosby and, and, and Malkin when, uh, or Malkin when Crosby's in the lineup when it's out, Malkin's usually like a point per game slightly above when Crosby's in. He's like, at point, he's, he's at like a 1.4 points per game or something when he's out. Right. I wonder if Leon Dreisaitl goes like, all right, it's Leon Dreisaitl time. Exactly. And, uh, and, and, and starts cooking by himself. But there are a lot of flaws in this team. Like, we peg them as a Stanley Cup contender because of the two guys at the top mm -hmm. and also because of how good those two guys make the players around him. Like, I don't think on, in any other world is Zach Hyman and, uh, and Ryan Nugent Hopkins, or specifically Ryan Nugent Hopkins, I don't think in any other world is getting 100 points, mm. uh, you know, without playing with those guys. Zach Hyman's not going to be, like, flirting with, like, 50 goals or whatever like he was last year. doesn't work. But there's a lot, A, the goaltending, like you said. Yeah. That is a big problem. And it, what's, what's wild is that Jack Campbell, who, is, who has played very poorly this year, but he's at a 9.02 save percentage, he is far and away the best out of those two. Stuart mm. Skinner, who saved their season last year, Ended up being voted to the All Star game. It wasn't an All Star because I know Correct. you like that. That you know that's, that that's an end of season designation. Exactly. Yep. But Shout he was, out to he, Ken Campbell. Yes, yeah. exactly. But he went to Ken Campbell, R.I.P. Uh, but he went to. Um, he's alive. He, he's alive. Yes, and and thriving actually. That's um, right. But he he did go to to Florida uh, uh, as an All Star. So you know that he was he was designated as that, and he saved their season by coming on like crazy. He's really struggled this year. And another thing too is Matthias Ekholm. Missed the opener, and he is clearly banged up, and that was sort of the, the Tetris piece that brought yeah. that whole thing together. And if he's operating at less than than a hundred percent, that sort of uh, uh, you know to use another game like that that Jenga piece is very it, you know it's, it's tantalizing, it's it's perilous, if you will, yeah. uh, to use some four dollar words there. So it, it's it's going to be tough. I mean, I think really their only saving grace is a like you said they come together. Um, but also that Leon Dreisaitl goes like, all right, it's time to show what I can do without literally like one of the best players to have ever played this game next to me. Yeah, and there are certainly guys that know they need to step up. I thought uh, you know, it was kind of funny the other day Evander Kane mm -hmm. uh, got into a fight and afterwards he was like, well, I know I'm not scoring right now, so I need to contribute somehow. So he's even aware of that. And you look at the Oilers' depth right now and in I mean, it's, it's always going to be a little top-heavy because mm -hmm. McDavid and Dreisaitl run away with the scoring race. But, I mean, I think they only have like five or six guys that actually have multiple points this year, and that has to change. Now, again, their saving grace right now is that their division has a lot of weak teams. Yes. You know, uh, we're going to talk about Seattle later, but, you know, Seattle's got one win on the season. Anaheim has one win on the season. San Jose has zero wins on the season. There's that might not change for a while. And maybe <laughs> not. You know, um, you know, Calgary only has two wins, you mm -hmm. know, which is one better than the Oilers because yes. they only have one win as well. But, you know, you look at that division, you say, okay, well, Vegas is undefeated, and clearly we thought the Golden Knights were going to be excellent to begin with, so that makes sense. The Kings are okay. They'll mm -hmm. probably get better. Um, you know, the Canucks are sort of batting above or, you know, punching above their weight class right now. So that's good to see for the Canucks. But the Oilers aren't in a bad spot yet because the rest of the division is so bad. Like they only need to be top three. So it's like, OK, well, Vegas takes one of those spots. But who takes the other two? I, th I think it's still really up in the air. And... The fact that McDavid got hurt now versus <coughs> down the stretch where maybe you really mm -hmm. need those points, I think they're a bit lucky in that scenario where, yeah, the sky is kind of falling, but it's falling for a lot of teams in the Pacific. Well, speaking of skies falling for teams in the Pacific, uh, the, uh, the Calgary Flames, the heated rival of the Edmonton Oilers, at mm -hmm. least... To, to bring solace to them, uh, to the Oilers, the Flames are going to be out without one of their best defensemen uh, for at least the next four games. Uh, of course, there is an appeal with this, but uh, Calgary's Rasmus Anderson um, is suspended four games for a hit uh, to the head. Um, this is, by the way, this, this suspension is the longest, uh, would have been the longest suspension last year. There was no suspension wow. above three games last year. Wow. So right out of the gate, the, the Department of Player Safety is hitting a precedent-setting suspension here and of course it has been appealed um first of all what do we think of the hit and also i guess sort of what do we think of this appeal does it uh does the suspension do we think it gets it gets lessened 
Um, and I guess sort of what the impact is on Calgary's uh, uh, you know stretch here without one of their best defensemen. Yeah, so the first thing that kind of hovers over this whole suspension and appeal mm -hmm. is that right now Rasmus Anderson would miss the Heritage Classic. Yes. The outdoor game, and I think that's... And McDavid is missing that too, which is a huge... Like, I, I, yeah, I that's guarantee you the very league... very unfortunate. There were a couple of, like, broken tables in the league office. I'm sure there yeah. were. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think there's a bit of a backdrop there where it's like, oh, like if you miss the Winter Classic, you know, the Winter Classic, Heritage Classic, I mean, oh, too bad. But it's like, you know what, like as a parent, you know, when you're disciplining a child, mm -hmm. you can't sort of pick and choose the scenario based on, you know, it's like if they do something bad, like. If they miss right, the class pizza party. Exactly. Yeah. It's like you can't go on the don't field do it again. or yeah, whatever you, it happens to be. Yeah. Um, you know, you can't have two sets of rules. Exactly. So, I mean. Don't hit guys in the head. And, you know, when you look at that hit on Patrick Laine, principal point of contact was certainly the mm -hmm. head. Um, it was unnecessary. It, yeah, it was kind of from the side as well. So I think it was a pretty apt suspension. And it's unfortunate uh, because you're right. I mean, Rasmus Anderson has been fantastic for yes. Calgary. He's really evolved into an excellent player. And, you know, I, I know going back to his draft year, you know, he played in the OHL with the Barry Colts, so I have a little more familiarity with him. Um, you know, this is a player where the skills were obvious, mm -hmm. and it was just a matter of conditioning, yeah. really. And, you know, he's, he's embraced that, and he's turned into a player where you can really depend on him uh, for a variety of, uh, of things on the ice. And again, you know, you talk about Edmonton struggling, you know, Calgary, as we mentioned, they're not that much better right now. So they can't really afford to lose a guy like Rasmus Anderson. But I will say that four games seems pretty apt. Yes. And we'll see if the appeal gets lessened at all. But I think it's a pretty good precedent for the season for the Department of Player Safety to say, yeah, we're, we're taking this seriously. It was a hit to the head. And, you know... We've said four games. If anybody else is thinking of throwing a dodgy hit, that's the bar right now. Yeah, there was a lot to dislike about this hit. You know, like you said, principal point of contact was the head. It was from the side, you know, elbow out. And it was also right at the end of the game. Like, it didn't serve a hockey purpose. It was more of like, uh, let's just finish this uh, uh, and, and potentially take a chunk out of the opponent. And now Line is, you know, he's out indefinitely mm -hmm. uh, with this. So it is, it, th there's a lot to, to go here. I understand why you would appeal uh, just from like a union perspective because yeah. this is the longest suspension that's been levied by the NHL in like two years basically, or at least a full calendar year. And so over that, and, and you go, okay, so why am I getting the book thrown at me? And that's sort of a, um, that's an indictment on how the, player, the Department of Player Safety has done it before where they've set a bad precedent where like a hit that normally should get four games mm. is being appealed because Players were able to get away with murder, basically, in, in the past. But, um, yeah, this is – he's going to miss the, the the Heritage Classic. I don't think it really – like, cause because Gary Bettman is the – it wasn't over five games, so it's Gary Bettman who makes the final call on this. Correct. I really don't, I don't, really don't see Gary Bettman, like, going rogue against the, his own, like, Department of Player right. Safety and being like, you know what, George, you really messed up here. Scaling it back to one. No, yeah. that I don't see that happening. Yeah. I, I Maybe if – Maybe it gets reduced to three, mm -hmm. but still, that's three games without a def uh, your top right shot defenseman. You know who is who is logging almost 24 minutes of ice time per night uh, for your team. That is two, three, and one. You need all the points and wins you can get, especially like what Calgary shouldn't be taking advantage of here is the fact that like Edmonton, they they were a Stanley Cup contender, and I guess sort of they still are because we're only five games into their season. Yeah, totally. But like. You got to take advantage of, of when you're when Goliath David's got to take advantage of when Goliath stumbles, yeah. you know. And right now, Edmonton is stumbling, and for the next week and a bit, there or week, two weeks, they're going to be without the, the best player on earth, their captain, their sort of heart and soul. You had an opportunity to go in there, and, and you're also playing them in that stretch too. Mm -hmm. So you had an opportunity to go in there and, and take some points that's going to make it very difficult for Edmonton to to sort of come back up and get and, and, and recoup. And now you're now your 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 top one of your top if not your top defenseman takes himself out for uh, for four games, which in the scope of NHL is like a week. So that's half of McDavid's injury sort of absence. That is that is not ideal. That is kind of shooting yourself in the foot when it comes to when it comes to that. So that's n yeah not ideal, and it's a shame. It would be nice. Indeed, and 
you know, we've, we've mentioned this before on the podcast, you know, and people say like, oh, like why is the PA, you know, appealing, like part they of the appeal, to. that is their job. They're literally their job. Yeah, is and to. yes, they do <clears throat> also represent Patrick Laine, mm-hmm. Um, but in this case, it's almost like, you know, if you think of it almost like a trial, it's like the NHL is representing Patrick, Patrick Laine's yes. interest in this case. Yeah. Somebody has to represent Rasmus Anderson, and that's what the union is there for. So, you know, I, I know it's it's a weird look, but it's like that's the purpose of having somebody that's going to have your back. Like, you well, know, it's th- in good times and in bad times. It's the we gotta look at the union as as defense lawyers, right? Like exactly. We, and where it doesn't matter if their client has murdered someone, they right. still have to be there to defend them. So at least they're tried fairly. Yes. Which is why they 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 sign appeals. So like. You will. That, that's why, and I, you always see the up, the uproar of you know the 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 players. Of, uh, a player does something bad, on or off the ice, and the players' association has to come in and file an appeal on the discipline. That's their job. They yeah. have to do that. So likely, and like likely, this won't get reduced. I would be shocked if it does. I would be too. Like maybe a game, maybe down to three, just sort of to be like, listen, you didn't do anything over. Can't do anything over three last year. Let's reduce it to three, and then save the the book throwing for. A catastrophic, like, like yeah. crazy sort of thing. But I would even say, like, I don't agree with that opponent. Uh, yeah, opinion, by the way, and I, I think what they're doing is, you know, maybe we're seeing a bit of a reset here with NHL discipline, where I mean, this is the first, you know, major so. incident of the year, and they're saying, like, okay, like this is the standard, and it could get worse. So let's eliminate these headshots, or at least try as best we can, because. It is a fast game, things happen, but when it is something where it seems pretty clear cut, like this particular hit on line A, they'll say like, we're trying to eliminate this in the game. So we're not gonna be taking it easy. You know, you've seen what happened to Rasmus Anderson. It's four games, maybe the next one's five, maybe it's six. Don't put yourself in a position where we have to make that call because what they've shown early on is they will make that call. Speaking of putting yourself in good positions, Teams starting hot to start the year. And we got two original six teams, both mm-hmm. expected to, one expected to take a step back, another expected to kind of stay in neutral. Um, one, that, those being the Boston Bruins, the Detroit Red Wings, they were red hot. Yes. To start the season, they are, nothing can get the Boston Bruins down. They lose Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci, and Matthew Poitras comes in and, and becomes an offensive juggernaut. And, yeah. and, uh, and meanwhile, over, to, over in Detroit, I mean, obviously Alex DeBrincat is, is you know, proving that, proving to be, you know, uh, the Alex Brink had of old, the, yes. uh, the sniper who, to be fair, is shooting 42.1%, so maybe not the most sustainable, but still, they, they count every goal. They don't ask how. That's um, right. But, but <clears throat> I guess when it comes to showing how good Detroit is being, Justin Hall is the NHL's plus minus leader uh, through the start of the season. Remarkable stuff. Which start here is A, more intriguing, I'd say, and I guess to follow that up, B, most realistic. Yeah, it's very interesting because both teams are on five-game win streaks right now. Boston's still undefeated. I will say Boston has played some terrible teams. Yes. Uh, It's been a soft schedule, but you have to take care of business. And that's what they've done. The Bruins have only given up seven goals in their first five games, which is awesome. That's crazy. And, you know, you talk about the losses down the middle uh, and the fact that a rookie in Matthew Poitras has, has stepped up. But this was a team that we knew they had very strong goaltending mm-hmm. in Linus Allmark and Jeremy Swayman. That was going to be a strength for them because they could go back and forth with the two of them. But their defense score and their overall defensive play has also been excellent mm-hmm. for years now. And you have a blue line court led by Charlie McAvoy, uh, who I feel is still kind He's of still underrated. underrated. He, Charlie McAvoy <laughs> is like should be in the Kale McCarr two-way conversation of a guy who yeah. he just... Very interesting. And you know, two quick side notes. When I was talking to Brock Faber this summer mm-hmm. in Minnesota, he was saying when, when he played at the NTDP, he watched as much Charlie McAvoy video as he could because he saw a player that was similar in like frame and stature that did so many you know good things on the ice. So he always watched Charlie McAvoy and wanted to play like him. Also, I remember years ago, I was, I was talking to somebody who had like an analytics firm that they were looking into draft classes and you know how high a, a player should be picked. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was like, oh, okay, so like, who was somebody that kind of slipped through the cracks that if you went by the numbers would have gone higher? And they said, well, Charlie McAvoy 
should have gone top five. Yeah. You know, this is a player that teams should not have passed on early on. Was it a size thing maybe with him? You know what? I don't know because he's not small by any yeah. stretch. You know, he's not tall. But I, I think it was just a matter of, you know, maybe he's he six didn't one, have, so no, yeah, you're right. Yeah, maybe he didn't have a particularly distinct quality that, mm-hmm. that other teams zoned in on. It could also have just been that particular draft class. There was guys that teams liked based on upside. But McAvoy, and obviously Boston was who, who took him, McAvoy was the guy that if you looked at his body of work, you could see that he had a bright future ahead of him. So mm-hmm. there's the digression there. But Charlie McAvoy obviously still a Remarkable. huge part of the Bruins. Yeah. Like I said, they've been taking care of business. It'll be interesting to see what happens once they start playing some, some better teams. Mm-hmm. But this was the start they needed. Because Absolutely. if you look at last year, I mean, there was questions last year as well because we didn't know... We didn't know last year what Patrice Bergeron was was, was going to do, and they had some injuries to begin the season. If I'm not mistaken, both uh, well, Marchand and, and McAvoy were out were for out. a month. Yeah. So I know for me, when I looked at last year's Bruins, I was like, "Ooh, it could be a tough start." And then you know maybe the mountain's too tough to climb. So I'm not sure. Obviously, they had no problems. They put in the best regular season in NHL history, mm-hmm. and they got off to an awesome start. That's what sort of propelled it. Now, once again, we come into the season, we say, oh, no Bergeron, no Krejci. What's this team going to look like? You know, is Pavel Zaka their number one center? Like, how's that going to look? Once again, they take care of business. And it's that Bruins culture that... Next man up, kind of? It's just, they have that leadership core. Mm-hmm. You know, Marshan gets the captaincy. Um and he's always been a part of that leadership core, but you have guys like Brandon Carlo and Charlie McAvoy that have been there for years. Milan Lucic comes back. Yep. He knows what it means to be a Bruin. You got a veteran like James Van Riemsdyk in there, too. Exactly. Yeah. So they know what they need to do on the ice. And they also have all the motivation in the world after losing in the first round last year to Florida in seven games. So for the Bruins to get off to a great start, I think is so important for them. And you know, I'll get into Detroit in a second, but just your thoughts on, on the Bruins right now. Well, no, yeah, like I, I, everything you said is legit. And when it comes to, uh, you know, they've obviously beaten up on some bad teams, like you said, and when it comes to whether or not that will change in the future, I mean, their next two games are against the Blackhawks and the Ducks. So we could be talking about, you know, a seven-game win streak here yes. as opposed to a five. Yeah. Um, and then after that is actually funny enough, the potential the, the, the streak buster game is against Detroit. Right after, so that will be the you know the battle of the two clash of the titans. Exactly, you know Justin Hall, Charlie McAvoy, who's going to win the Norris, um, you know stuff like that. But look, this is a very good team, um, and you talk about how like is Pavel Zaka going to be the number one center? He's playing eighteen and a half minutes tonight. He only has one point five games, and they're still undefeated. Yeah. So what happens when Pavel Zaka starts cooking? You right. know what happens? There's uh, uh, this is a remarkably well coached team. Yes, I think a lot of it comes down to Jim Montgomery being able to hit the right notes. And again, I always say this, but I watch all, pretty much all, of, I, I, just because, you know, I can't be in every locker room around the, around the league. So I like to watch all of the behind the scenes content that every mm. team puts out. Because now every team is producing their own sort of, uh, uh, their own like HBO 24 sevens throughout the year. So I watch a lot of the Bruins because the Bruins do a phenomenal job. They got Dennis Leary narrating it and everything. Nice. Like they, they go, you know, they, they go pretty hard. And Jim Montgomery is such a beloved figure there. Like he has that sort of, affability but like firmness yeah you know he's like the he's like the cool dad but not the dad you can walk all over yeah um, so take notes Ryan I will um, but no it's it's uh, it, I think that that just the coach has, be, has done a phenomenal job being able to usher that uh, uh, sort of that transition of like we said losing their heart and soul and Patrice Bergeron and uh, and David Krejci but yes you're right there is there is a, a lot of it is due to you know a slump schedule here like they, they are not playing you know phenomenal teams and uh, when it comes to like their shoot, their shooting percentage and their PDO and whatnot, like they are getting their shooting percentage, you know, is, is above the league average. It's ten point seven. The league average is ten, and their their PDO is very very high. They're getting a nine. They're getting nine five three save percentage across their across uh, both goalies. PDO is one hundred four point one. That mm. is off the charts when it comes to that. So uh, when we look at like a, a, an unsustainable start, there's a lot of sort of warning signs here. But banking these points at the start of the season. That's five games. That's 10 points you've just banked right there. Yeah. Potentially, it could be 14 by the time they end up losing a game. Um, yeah, pretty remarkable. And then we come to Detroit. Again, another somewhat, I think, is unsustainable start. Um, 
but man, this is a team that uh, that's clicking right now. Yeah, and what's interesting to me is that for years now we've talked about the Iser plan, GM Steve Eiserman mm -hmm. rebuilding this team. We've looked at all the prospects that they've accrued. And, you know, Moritz Sider and Lucas Raymond are the most prominent right now and yes. have been the most prominent for a couple of years. You know, Simon Edvinson, he's still developing, uh, you know, so we're waiting for him to come up. They've got some other young guys that are interesting. But the success so far has been the big summer acquisition, Alex Dabrinkit, mm -hmm. you know, eight goals in six games, you know, the, the home state kid, he, you know, he wanted to be a Red Wing. And he is, as you mentioned, 42% shooting percentage. It's probably not going to stay like that, but that's all right. Mm -hmm. You know, Dylan Larkin, 11 points in six games. Shane Goss Another hometown kid, by the way. That's right, another yeah. Michigan. Yeah, Shane Goss is bear. Six points in six games from the blue mm -hmm. line. So it's the veterans that are leading the way. And I'm still trying to, like, wrap my head around the Red Wings yes. because they're also getting great goaltending. Uh, you know, and that's something that I think, you know, heading into the season – we're like, ah, you know, like when you look at the Red Wings, you know, do they actually have like James Reimer, Vili Huso? Alex that, Lyon. You know, yeah, is that going to yeah. get the job done? James Reimer's got a 963 save percentage so far. That's sustainable. Yeah, exactly. But you know what? Again, like it's better to be in this position yes. than to be, say, Buffalo, where they're not getting goaltending and they're not getting wins. You and just dug yourself into a hole. Exactly. You, you are exactly where you did not want to be. You know, before the season began, we looked at Detroit, Buffalo, and Ottawa and said, you know, two of these teams probably have the chance to snag a playoff spot mm -hmm. if everything falls their way. Which two are they going to be? I, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I thought it was going to be Buffalo and Ottawa. Absolutely. Detroit has now put themselves in a position where they are obviously the best of the three. And, you know, Ottawa's playing pretty decent as well. But with the Red Wings, it's interesting where I think when we think about rebuilds, it's like, okay, well, you get your star guys and you build around them. And the Red Wings haven't had lottery luck, mm -hmm. right? Like, math-wise, they should have had a number one pick overall during Eisenman's tenure. It hasn't happened. But you don't just give up. You know, you make the best picks you can. And, you know, Lucas Raymond was obviously a great pick. Moritz Sider was a fantastic pick because that was a guy we, we didn't think was going to go that high. And the bet certainly paid off for the Red Wings. But the fact that Debrinket and Larkin are leading the way, it takes pressure off the kids where they know they don't have to do everything out there. They can play their game. I think the Red Wings are in really good shape with Derek Lalonde as their head coach. You know, mm -hmm. you talk about Jim Montgomery in Boston. I think Derek Lalonde, coming from the Tampa Bay Lightning, has been able to impart a lot of wisdom on this group and bring it along, you know, uh, at an organic pace. But the fact that Dabrinkit and Larkin are leading the way is something that, I don't want to say it's unexpected, but for me it's kind of like a pleasant surprise where it's like, oh, okay, this is a team that's competing already and it doesn't have to be the kids doing all the work. This is like a group that, you know, I mean, Larkin has been the guy for years now, and it's kind of nice to see him surrounded by other talent mm -hmm. because when he came in, it was just at the tail end of the sort of Datsuk Zetterberg era, and then he was kind of on his own for quite a long time. So it's nice to see him getting some help. But very interesting to me that those are the guys leading the way because it certainly puts them in a nice position where you don't have to worry about, you know, is Lucas Raymond putting too much pressure on himself is, you know, like we can keep Simon Edmondson in the AHL because Justin Hall is playing very well. Yeah. Shane Gosses Bear is playing very well, things like that. So uh, Red Wings is very fascinating to me overall. Well, another fascinating team just for their, uh, I would say stumbling out the gate uh, mentality here is the Seattle Kraken. Um, you know, this is a team that is a lot like Detroit in that they're going to get offense by committee. Mm -hmm. um, you know, well, obviously Detroit's not doing that right now. Offense Alex, by Debrinkit. <laughs> offense by Debrinkit. But when it comes to the overall construction of the roster, they mm -hmm. have a lot of, you know, like the second, third liners that you hopefully uh, chip in. The thing is, though, is that S Seattle is off to a tough start. They have three points uh, um, to start the season this year, which is one win. Um, not great. And now they're losing Alex Burakovsky again. Andre. Or sorry, Andre Burakovsky again. Um, and the thing is with, with Burakovsky is that he is hurt all the time. Uh, yeah. He missed a good chunk of last year. Uh, he missed a good chunk of the playoffs and the in that year when uh, uh, when when Colorado won the cup. 
Uh, it's tough. Is Seattle in trouble right now? They are in trouble. And I guess, again, I mean, they're in the same division as the Oilers, so it's sort of same deal where it's like, you know, Anaheim and San Jose are going to be bad, so you got a bit of a cushion there. But I look at the Seattle team, and the offense is just not there. Yes. And, you know, you, you know, you talk about shooting percentages. They're kind of in the other boat. They mm -hmm. only have five players above league average. So, you know, like Justin Schultz is at 11, Jared McCann's at 11, Jaden Swartz 14, Pierre-Edouard Belmare 14, Kyler Yamamoto 16. But having said that, none of those guys have more than two goals, Yeah. right? Like Yamamoto's got one goal, so he's just not shooting very often. Mm -hmm. um, this is the problem where when you're scoring by committee, you, if you don't have that go-to guy, then when you need somebody to step up, there's not an obvious answer. Yes. You know, like in, in Detroit right now, it's Alex Dabrinkit. Mm -hmm. you know, that, that's the obvious answer because he's just filling the net. But with Seattle, that's the concern right now is that you're just not getting any offense. And, and keep in mind, they hung seven on Carolina the other night. Yes. So take out those seven goals. You're, you're and like a barren wasteland. Yeah, it's like nothing. So that's my big concern with the Kraken is that you know, last year, obviously, Jared McCann had a huge season. And then, you know, Vince Dunn brought a ton of offense from the back end. You know, Vince Dunn, he's got five points in six he's games. He's their leading scorer. He's their leading scorer. Yeah. He only has one goal. So where is that high end? You know, and it's like Jared McCann, you know, he'll get, he'll get hotter, you hope. Yeah, at least scored 40 goals last year. Yeah, right? you yeah. know, Oliver Bjorkstrand, he only has one goal. So, and he's only shooting 8.3%. So you hope that comes up. But I, I do kind of worry that everything that went right for the Kraken last year is not going right this year. And that's where you get into trouble where, you know, they don't necessarily have an option in the minors that's like a surefire, no, they don't. you know, goal scorer. Like Shane Wright, I mean, he made his bones as a two-way player. Yeah. You know, it was, it was that two-way excellence where you said, okay, well, that's why this kid's going to be something once he develops. You know, they have Edward Chalet, but they just drafted him. He's in the OHL right yes, now. Yes, he's not. You don't you know. expect him for another year or two. Yeah, Ty Cartier was obviously a very pleasant surprise, and he was great in the playoffs for mm -hmm. them. He is a regular in this lineup, but he only has one goal. So where is the offense going to come from, you know, if not from Jared McCann? That's kind of the, the worry right now. Is this a team that isn't scoring, and, you know, they're not getting enough uh, of anything else to get those wins. So again, it's early. They're in a bad division, but and I, I do like that they took it to the Hurricanes. Um, you know, I mean, Carolina hasn't gotten in gear yet. Hey, we're going to talk about them next. Don't yeah. no spoilers. No tonight. spoilers. But yeah. I mean, that was I mean that was a desperation win for the Kraken. Um, Eleven goals for twenty-one against. That's not going to get the job done. And then you take away those seven. Exactly. That's four goals. Yeah. In like four games, basically. So then they're like basically like four versus eighteen goals against. Yeah. So the thing about the Kraken is, like you said, when you get when you get scoring by committee, you need at least two thirds of that committee to be cooking. Yeah. You need like you cannot, you know, uh, when you when you rely on when you have the communism approach to to NHL offense. Yeah. You kind of need the people to be working together all the time. That's yeah. not happening. But here's the thing, so. I think a big reason uh, towards their, their struggles this year is one of the players that I think you and I and, and the hockey cognoscente, if you will, um, uh, at large, we're expecting to take another leap is Matthew Beniers. Right. Um, you know, second overall pick, Calder winner, you know, flashy, great player. Um, he, has, he has zero goals and one assist in six games. Um, and, and I'm looking at that and I go, okay, was well, he just being unlucky? He only has nine shots in six games. Mm. That's not great for a player yeah. who's supposed to be eventually transition into your like your your Alex DeBrincat if you will like your main offensive horse um, he's just not producing and then I look at the, their team stats and you said you, you brought up shooting percentage and look this is an unlucky team right now you know they're only shooting as a, as a team 6.1 percent the yeah. league average is 10 yeah. that's bad when you look at their save percentage it's 888 right now or 0.88 so their PDO is 95.8 that is really low in terms of if there was a <clears throat> excuse me if there was a chart for PDO, this would be off the chart uh, mm. when it comes to low. But then I look at it and I go, <clears throat> okay, <clears throat> excuse me. 
um, the, the, the demons of the Seattle Kraken are coming through my body. But have the, have the Seattle Kraken ever gotten good goaltending? No. Yeah. Martin Jones won 27 games for them last year, and wow. they made the playoffs. And Martin Jones, I believe, had an 8.86 save percentage. Right. So that's basically on par with what their team save percentage is right now. Philip Grubauer, once again, um, once again, Philip Grubauer is, is, is below uh, uh, nine. I believe he's at an 8.96. You know, Joey Decord is keeping him is keeping him afloat, but he's only played two games. So I look at this and I go, okay, you are. When it comes to uh, luck, you are when it, like you are an unlucky team based on what you should be getting. Mm. But when we look at past precedents, like their save percentage really isn't that much lower, and it's very low, but it isn't really that much lower than what it's been in years past. Right. So yes, they're having bad shooting luck, but they aren't getting any stops. They're and and their defense just isn't isn't suppressing. They only have one point. They're averaging one point eight three goals per game. They're and they're giving up three point three three. That's not a winning formula. And when you take away, like you said, those seven goals with, f that they pumped in on Carolina, that goes down even more. This, the Kraken have always needed a goaltender. Mm -hmm. The way that they play when it comes to offense by committee and, and you know, like the, the, the solid defense, they needed a goaltender who can make that stop. They don't have it. And when everyone is, is, is just not being able to hit the net or not being able to get the puck past the goaltender, this is what happens to a team. Mm -hmm. when you When you... When you have the sort of like a perilous, like their their whole roster is like a Rube Goldberg machine, you know, like they need everything kind of flowing in and of, its, of itself. Mm. And when one of those sort of like components, whether it's the goaltending, defense, offense, is not working, then the whole machine falls apart. And right now, they basically have the forwards and the goaltending parts of those of those in, in shambles. Yeah. So it's 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 gonna be tough. I'm worried about them. I know that the, that the shooting is gonna turn around, but based on precedence, the goaltending. It hasn't in, in, in their entire existence as a franchise, which is obviously three years. Right. I'm worried. That's fair. Yeah. All right. And another team that we could potentially be worried about, and, and we mentioned them a bunch considering that they just got shellacked by a, uh, a Seattle Kraken team that is uh, very hard up on, on scoring goals, um, is the Carolina Hurricanes. Mm -hmm. This was, you know, we mentioned the Edmonton Oilers as a Stanley Cup contender. This was like the, the sexy, the trendy pick to, to, to select as a Stanley Cup winner this year. Yeah. You know, uh, on the action show, they were playing Colorado over the weekend, and Rachel and I said this is a potential Stanley Cup final preview. Indeed. Uh, not so much, it seems. Um, they, are, uh, uh, they are struggling, and uh, they keep losing to bad teams, Seattle being one of them. Yep. Ryan, are we, A, are we worried about the Carolina Hurricanes, and, and B, what is going on here? Well, I'm a little concerned but it is really early, mm. and we haven't seen Andrei Sveshnikov yet. You know, it sounds like he's close to returning, and he would give them a huge boost. You know, in terms of offense, I mean, they're spreading it around, so not bad in, in that regard. Mm. Um, you know, maybe not as hot as they were last year, but, you know, this is a team where they're building towards the cup. Yes. So this is a team, and you know, you can put kind of Dallas and Toronto in the same boat. What you know, teams that haven't won yet in this sort of little era. Mm. Um, obviously, the Hurricanes won back in the day, but you know, this is a team where th they have to figure out everything in the regular season. It doesn't matter where they finish in the Metro Division. You mm -hmm. know, hey, it would be great if they were first, but it's certainly not. Um, you know, a prerequisite. You know, we know New Jersey is going to be up there. It's funny, Philadelphia is off to an awesome start. Yeah. Uh, so that kind of throws a wrench in other people's plans because they probably thought they would be able to walk over the Flyers, and that is certainly not the case. Definitely. Um, but, I mean, goaltending has been abysmal for Carolina so far. I was just about to read out those stats, Ryan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Freddie Anderson, 855. Antti Ranta, 818. Uh, Peter Kachekov, 818. Like, the goals against averages. Oh, he's 822 now. Oh, is it? Okay. Kachekov. So, changes the whole narrative Still says 818 on NHL.com. Okay. But, I mean, yeah, the goals against averages look like 1980s Quebec League. Oh, yeah. Right like now. It's, these are ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, I, I always kind of questioned Carolina's goaltending on, like, an elite scale. Yes. It was like it was always going to be fine for the regular season. They have the bodies to get you through the regular season. Exactly. Yeah. But the, you know, Anderson and Ronta are obviously uh, the two main guys, or they're supposed to be. They're the veterans. But like, is there a best before date that they've sort of reached here? And mm. that would be my concern: is that you have 
you've constructed, you know, like possibly the best defense corps in the league. Oh yeah. I mean, it's fantastic. You know, led by Slavin and Burns. Um, you know, they get Orloff. You know, Chatfield stepped up. D'Angelo's back, and he always worked really well with Slavin the first time. But I mean, if you're leaking goals, then none of it matters. Do I think Carolina's you know, behind the eight ball yet? No, I think they're going to be fine. I mean, they are getting some wins. It's not like they're last in the division, but this is something that they got to sort out. I mean, they have to be, nobody wants to look, they'll say, you know, you can't look ahead to April and May, uh, but I do feel like they at least have to gear what they're doing towards that, where you got to learn lessons from last season. You know, why did you lose to Florida when you were the favorite in that series? Yes. Now, and again, there's no Andre Sveshkov. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Why do you not even win a game? Um, I'm really curious to see what this team looks like with Andre Sveshnikov because it's been so long at this point. Mm-hmm. But he is such a great talent. He is a big body. He can be a difference maker. So once he returns, I want to see what this Carolina Hurricanes team looks like because they have all the elements. And maybe goaltending is the Achilles heel, but it shouldn't be that much of an Achilles heel. Yes. It, at worst, the goaltending should just be fine. Mm-hmm. And right now it's not fine, and that's dragging them down. But I'm personally, I'm not super concerned not just yet. Yeah. Uh, look, I'm, I'm a little concerned uh, in the sense that there are some sort of big-name acquisitions that, that haven't uh, really been pulling their weight. And namely, I'd say that's, that's or is Dmitry Orlov. Mm. Because Dmitry Orlov, I mean, look, plus-minus maybe not, is not the most telling stat um, but but when it's when it's either ridiculously high or ridiculously low compared to everyone else, then it sort of tells the story. Dmitry Orlov, who again was like the top free agent on the market, he's proven to be a number one defenseman, you know, on on both uh, Boston and Washington in years past. He's only averaging like he's averaging less than 17 minutes per night on the team. He's on the third pair, and that could just be due to the fact that Slavin and Pesci are ahead of him. But still, he's a minus 10. Yeah, he is. He is, he has no goals and two assists. But he's a minus ten. No one else is. No one else is is worse than a minus six on the team. Mm. So like, what what is happening when when Dmitry Orlov is on the ice? Yeah. This is a big. This is a big money, big name guy that they got. And then another thing I think that's really hurting them is that they don't have an AHL affiliate or an ECHL affiliate. Yes. So they are they are sending players all over the place, some to Europe just to get yeah. games while they, while they wait to call them up. And there were a bunch of, of players who, you know, just to sort of make the, the numbers fit, had to get sent to the ECHL, and they refused to go. Mm. And I look at Kochetkov. Kochetkov had to get loaned to Syracuse, the Syracuse Crunch of the AHL, which is the, uh, the AHL Tampa affiliate Bay. of Tampa Bay. Yeah. So how can you expect this guy to, to, you know, be loaned to a totally different organization that he really has no stake in? Like, I know that players get loaned all the time, but this is a guy who just signed, like, a long-term contract extension with them. He's played playoff games. You know, he's, he's, he's been successful at the NHL level. In all, in all instances, he should have sort of taken that next step up because I don't know why they re-signed both those goalies over the, over the summer. Yeah. They, should have, they should have let, like, one of Ranta or, or Anderson go and had Kochekov be a full-time NHLer. So now he's still in that limbo, and now he's getting sent to a, a town that he has, or a team and an organization that he has no stake in, really. It, it, it's it, how can you expect him to be good when he gets called back up when he's just being flung all over the globe, um, and that that goes for any of their recalls if they get if they get injured. You know they're gonna have they're gonna be pulling guys from all over the country. Yeah. It's gonna be tough. Well, for example, they just recalled Dylan Coughlin yes. from AHL Springfield, yes, which is obviously not their affiliate either. And I think the big problem you get into is when you don't have your own affiliate, you can't teach your guys, your structure. Yes. You know, like your AHL team could play like your NHL team, and then when a guy comes up, it's kind of seamless. So it's like, okay, well, I know where I need to be on this play. I know, you know, what my responsibilities are in the D zone. And what motivation does the, does the coach of that team have to, to develop you, you know? Right, yeah, that's a big problem mm-hmm. too. And I mean, I, I think part of the problem with the Chicago Wolves, which used to be their AHL affiliate, is that that organization had different views yes. on you know what they wanted the team to be like they want to be more competitive Carolina obviously wanted their kids to get time and, mm. and develop that way so that's your big problem and now Carolina's in a tough spot right Ryan it's my turn for the best this week Let's do uh, it. the best is our segment where we just list a bunch of things that we think are the best from around the NHL uh, or hockey world in general 
Now, Ryan, I'm a big gear nerd. Mm. I love I love me some hockey gear. I love, you know, like the sticks, the helmets, the gloves, whatever. I just love sort of the, the oddities. Uh, I don't know. I guess I just, you know, not being very good growing up, that's sort of the, the thing that, that you focus on. And some NHL players really do have some, some very interesting quirks when mm. it comes to their equipment. And I thought we'd go over a couple and the best, these are the best, uh, uh, these are the best NHL equipment oddities. One was that, remember Dan Blackburn, the goaltender? Totally. Yeah, so Dan Blackburn, you know, he, he burst on the scene, and then he had some injury troubles, and he injured his hands, so he couldn't grip, like he couldn't, it was like permanent nerve damage, I believe. Yeah. So he couldn't close his glove and everything, so he thought, you know, I want to keep, I want to keep trying, I'm going to go two blockers. So for a while, Dan Blackburn was the only two blocker goalie. It did not work out, sadly. Right. Um, but here are a couple that I thought were interesting because they're the last players to do certain things in the NHL. Yeah. So, for example, the last goalie to play without a mask, Andy Brown. Okay. Uh, interesting. The last, the last goalie to wear a full fiberglass face mask, like the Gary Cheevers type oh, of thing, yeah. was uh, Sam St. Laurent. Okay. Um, interesting. The last player, I, you can, you, I bet you can tell me who the last player who did, to not wear a helmet. Craig McTavish. There you go. Boom. Yep. The last goalie to wear the helmet cage combo. Oh. I'm, you know what? I'm gonna, this is a pure guess, and I'm basing this on hockey cards. Was it Chris Terreri? It was not. It was Tim Thomas, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. The last player to use a wooden stick was Adrian Acoin. Nice. Uh, interesting. But the other, other little oddities was that, you know, Zidane Chara, for example, being a big, tall player that he is, um, he, if anyone else used the length of stick that he did, it would be deemed illegal. Right. He got an exception because he was so tall. He's like, I'm six foot nine. I'm six foot nine. Yeah. I need to use this stick. Yeah. And it was still a long stick for him at six foot nine. Like it was, you know, even like from that sort of. He was basically the guy in the corner of uh, like rail hockey. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, another one is, is uh, Johnny Goudreau. Mm -hmm. Tiny little fella. A manlet, if you will, we like to call him. Um, and he, uh, so when you, when you buy a stick for a toddler, like when you buy like a junior stick, which is right. the lowest one you can get, it's at 50 flex, you know? And, and the thing about flex is the lower the number, the more flex it is. Right. People, for, people don't understand that. Johnny Goudreau, an NHL player who has like 100 point seasons under his belt, he makes $9 million a year. He uses a 55 flex. So he uses a flex that is only slightly stiffer than, than what you would buy like a six year old to use in, 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 in Little League, in, in right. House League. Crazy stuff. He's an NHL sniper. And Connor Bedard, I think he uses like a 65. He's 60, yeah. So he's, he's very whippy as well. It's the smaller guys with like the centers of gravity that want to take advantage of the whip on their stick to add yeah. a couple, couple extra KPH uh, uh, to it. But another one, for example, is, is Evgeny Malkin. Uh, he, he doesn't do this uh, now, but he used to. He used two different gloves and two different brands of gloves. Wow. One would be CCM and one would be Bauer. And then finally, another one is Thomas Holmstrom. Um, he, he sort of pioneered the sort of net front guy. He actually used specific modified shoulder pads oh. that, would, that would add extra padding to his back and like spine because of the amount of just punishment he would take in the crease. He had, he had to modify his shoulder pads wow. in order to keep his vertebrae together. Dang. Um, love, me some, love me some NHL equipment oddities. If you have any that, that you, you know of that I didn't mention here, and obviously they're the obvious ones, Ryan O'Reilly's uh, stick is ridiculous, you know, stuff like that, uh, send them in. That'd be great. Um, and then now we go on to rapid fire. Let's do it. Now, rapid fire uh, this week, I've, I'm in a big cinema mode. You know, I've watched Killers of the Flower Moon twice since it came out. Nice. Um, that's seven hours. Here, so uh, I want to talk about some cinema here, Ryan. Let's do it. What is your favorite director flourish? So I'm talking about like, what is your favorite thing, like like a director sort of trademark move? Like for example, yeah. like J.J. Abrams, he's he's known for the lens flares, if you will. Uh -huh. You know, or or uh, like even for Scorsese, he's known for like the soundtracks and the hard cuts. What is your favorite director sort of signature move? All right. Maybe this is a bit hokey, but I just enjoy it. And it's like when Guy Ritchie does the slow-mo stop. Yeah. Yeah, like he used a lot in Snatch, obviously. But uh, I really enjoy that because it's like, I don't know, it's just like I know I'm in a Guy Ritchie movie when that happens. Mm -hmm. And it's always, it's always something that's like a little bit fun as, lo as well as being violent. Yes. So I like those. I, I got to, I, I really like the Scorsese tracking shots. Like, you know, he, he does them in almost every movie. You know, the most notable one is Goodfellas when they're going through the Copacabana and it's right, everyone. Right. Um, and the other one is uh, uh, 
I really like the Sam Raimi uh, like Dutch angles. Oh yeah. Like I think that that adds that adds so much to like for example he just did the doc the the newest Doctor Strange movie and that that differentiated it so much from because he'll just like do these crazy like crash zooms but like they're they're tilted. I love that. That's great. Um, so Ryan, my next one is let's say you're you you know you have the ability. To, to step into any actor or actress's body, but start from their beginning. Which, which, which Hollywood actor or director, whatever, who's, which, which of their careers would you have personally liked to have? Wow, that's a fascinating one. The first one that comes to mind is Chow Yun-Fat. Yes. Because um, he was in all of the like classic John Woo movies. And I'm just thinking about him sliding down the railing with two guns in Hard Boiled mm -hmm. as being like one of the coolest things that's ever happened in cinema. Uh, and then he's had like a pretty good like Hollywood career afterwards where it's like he could kind of like chill out a bit. Yeah. But just being in those like early Chow Yun Fat action movies, that'd be pretty cool. That's, that's a great, yeah, that, that's great. I would like to be Joe Pesci because oh. I get to be short, I get to be loud. <laughs> I get to I get to have a great partnership uh, uh, with like a legendary director. I get to like get sort of just just be able to play like obviously variations of different characters, but right. sort of be the same like same sort of archetype. What do you and mean the I, same? What do you mean the same? Like uh, my clown? Like I amuse you? What? <laughs> yeah. um, and then uh, and and then also I like to be able to just retire for a while, play golf every day, sure. even though I don't golf. And then and then in my 60s and explicitly return to my best friend who's directing a movie and get nominated for an Oscar again. I think that's great. I would love, uh, I, that, that's a great career I would love to, to sort of emulate. And then finally, let's say you, you have, uh, um, you have the pick of the litter when it comes to directors you, would, you specifically would like to work with. You know, ah. like you're an actor, and I'm and I want you to, to really think hard because it, this there's a lot that goes into this. There is there is you know box office potential. Uh -huh. There is sort of like like the amount of, of uh, uh, like difficulty of the role that they would put you in. Uh -huh. You know, there is the their reputation of being like a nice or or mean person. Uh -huh. uh, which you had the the you know the anyone who you could pick to be sort of like your director muse, if you will. Right. Who would you choose? Okay, so. I'm, I'm like I'm on like two tracks here. The one is like very <laughs> somehow the lesser of the mm -hmm. more hipster than the other one. Takeshi Miike would be fun mm -hmm. because I know it would be just absolute like craziness, like what we would be able to do on the movie, where it's like yeah, nothing's out of bounds. Yeah. Like it'll be crazy. But I actually think I'm gonna say Wes Anderson because I love his yeah. style and it just and you know with the casts that he puts together. It always seems to be like really fun, and mm -hmm. it's like always some location where they're all like hanging out or whatever. And it feels like, you know, just talking to everybody there, you'd be able to talk about music and all and like all sorts of other things. Um, so I, I think it would it would actually probably be like more fun to do Wes Anderson because all, you would also know that it would be a hit movie. Yeah. yeah, I think I would be, and this is sort of like just to sh just for me, uh, uh, interesting pick. I would be James Cameron, just for like the Avatar movies, because you know that you would only work like twice a decade. Right. And, and most of the time you're in like a skin tight suit and like you don't have to go outside really to film it, you're just in like a thing. And then you go to a movie that makes $2 billion and you're you good go. to go. And, and it's gonna get good reviews and you really only work twice a decade, like I said, which is great. Um, all right, so that's Rapid Fire. Uh, brings us to a close. Obviously we will be back next week. Enjoy yourself. <laughs>